Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory at StevensCreekChurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today. I'd like to welcome all those in our Growtown campus. I'd like to welcome all those in our South campus, those watching at home in our atrium. Uh, it's a great day to be in church today. And so, you know, I like to start with something funny. I heard about this 85-year-old man that uh, liked to go fishing. One day while he was fishing, he heard this voice and said, hey, hey, he looked around. And he thought he was, didn't see anything, didn't hear anything. I mean, he didn't see anything and he thought he was dreaming. He said, he heard it again, hey. He looked down, there was a frog talking to him. He said, hey, if you'll pick me up and kiss me, I will turn into a beautiful bride. So the guy reached down, picked him up, put him in his pocket. He said, hey, did you hear me? If you kiss me, I'll turn into a beautiful bride. He said, ah, at my age, I'd rather have a talking frog. <laughs> turn this off. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Be Generous. You know, we live in a world where self-interest and material pursuits uh, take center stage. But over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on the power of generosity. I think that the number one uh, verse in all of the Bible about generosity is John 3, 16. It said, for God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. Here's what we know, and here's the big idea for today's talk. God gives generously, and when we give, we reflect. When we give, we reflect his generous nature. So when we think about God's generosity and that God gave his one and only son, we know that that he gave his one and only son in order to save us and to help us. He sacrificed his son so that we could be made free. And so we are to emulate him and we are to give back. Now, when we talk about giving and generosity, it's more than just money. It's about your time. It's about your talents, your skills, your abilities. It is about your, your resources in general. It is about even your words. And here's what we know, that every act of generosity, no matter how small, can make a big difference in somebody else's life. Generosity is not only about pleasing God, but it's about making your world, it's about making your community a better place. And over the next few weeks, we're going to take a deep dive into a very famous story in the Bible, the story of the Good Samaritan. And in today's talk, we're going to see how the Good Samaritan got off of his donkey to be generous and help somebody in need. Over the next few weeks, we're going to also encourage you to be a part of small groups. If you haven't joined a small group, you can go into the lobby in Grovetown or South Campus or here at the Augusta Campus, and you can sign up for a small group. If you'd like to do one on your own, you can scan this QR code uh, that will give you some questions along the way to help you in your discussion. 
I want to start off with a story about Kara Wood. Kara Wood was a 17-year-old high school student from Chagrin Falls, Ohio. She was a star on the soccer field, but she also worked at a little diner called Dink's Colonial Restaurant in town. It was in that diner that she met an 82-year-old man named Bill Cruxton, and Bill was a widower, and Bill came into the diner every day for lunch and dinner. Now, he came for lunch and dinner, but he also came for companionship because he was all alone. And he and Kara developed this unique friendship, this unique relationship. Kara was outgoing, and and Bill was really opinionated. So they kind of butted heads at times, but their their friendship grew deep to the point where Kara would help him run errands and also do things around the house. Now, Bill didn't have any children, but he also... I always told Kara that she reminded him of his late wife, Gertrude, and if he ever had any granddaughters, he would imagine that they would look just like Kara. Later that year, Bill was admitted to the hospital. He only had one photo on the table beside his his bed, and that was a photo of Kara. He passed away of heart failure, and the hospital called Kara. Kara got a phone call, but not only did her friend pass away, but he left her everything that he owned, over a half a million dollars. Now, this has been several years ago, but Kara took that money and invested that money and lived uh, and went to college off of those resources and, and got an education, and now she gives back. Here's a picture of Kara today. She thought that by just making a friend and helping out an older man, that she was doing a good deed. She never thought that by helping a stranger, she would actually be helping herself. But there is actually a principle about that. When you give, it will come back to you. When you give, it will come back to you. The Bible says that when you cast your bread upon the waters, it will return back to you. It's interesting about this, that when we help others, we typically find purpose in our help. When we help other people, um, others, we help ourselves because we become better people when we help. Like I said, we're going to be looking at the story of the Good Samaritan. This is found in Luke chapter 10. Jesus told this story when he was having a conversation with a lawyer. Verse 25 says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. He stood up to test Jesus. He asked, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when we look at this verse of scripture and we see that he is an expert in the law, It is not like he's an attorney dealing with civil matters like we think of lawyers in our day. To be an expert in the law in the Jewish culture meant he was an expert in Jewish law. It meant, like we learned last week from Pastor Steve, that he was a specialist in uh, the law, in the Torah. The law is the first five books of the Bible that this person would have memorized all five books of Uh, the first five books of the Bible. And so when he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
We think that that's a question that's kind of a softball question, that Jesus would say, oh, he's talking about going to heaven, or is he he's talking about life after death? He's talking about eternity with God. But that's not what really he is asking in their cultural context. In the Jewish context, what Jesus heard him say when he re- uh, referred to the phrase eternal life is, how do I live with God now? How do I live in step with eternity? How do I live in step with the Almighty? The lawyer at this point is looking for fulfillment. He is looking for purpose. This is not about a question of how do you get to heaven when you die? It's a question focused on how do you live the best life possible? How do you live the best life here on this earth? And I think that's a question all of us ask ourselves at times. How do we embrace our best life? How do we live the best life that we can live while we are here on this earth? And so he asked the question. And in essence, he is putting Jesus on the stand in front of all these people who are listening to this conversation. He's testing Jesus. Teacher, tell us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to that expert's question with a question of his own. Next verse, Jesus said, what is written in the law? And how do you read it? How do you see it? How do you read this? Jesus is saying, you're the expert, buddy. You're the one that you have memorized the first five books of the Bible. You know that in those first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you know that there are 613 laws in um, those books. But they're not only laws, but they're commandments. And to the Hebrew people, they were sacred deeds. They were the deeds that if they would do that, that they would stand, they would walk in step with the Almighty. Now, it's interesting that these rabbis and these teachers, they would rank these laws, just like we rank college football teams. You ever notice that? How every week about this time, there's a new ranking that comes and ranks the top 25 uh, teams. I was trying to think this morning, I couldn't remember who's number one. I was trying to think who is number, you know, it's important, but it just slips my mind. Anybody know? How about at Grovetown? Do you know who's number one in college football? Uh, Duke, was it? Uh, somebody tell me after church because I'm sure that it'll come back to me when you say it. No, congratulations, all you dog fans. I mean, it was what a win yesterday. What a win. I mean, Ball State. Come on. Ball State. Now, how many of you in Grovetown South Campus, I'm talking to you now, how many of you know where Ball State is located? Let me see. Oh, my goodness. A few of It's Muncie, Indiana. I bet you didn't know that. They're Class 4A. <laughs> Just kidding. It's... Hey, I can't say anything. We, uh, South Carolina played Furman, so, um, but congratulations. You're number one. 
I'm proud of that. And so if you understand about the importance of ranking football teams, put yourself with that same fervor into their world. They had this, this passion to rank what's the most important law. Out of these 613 laws, which one's the most important? And Jesus responded. Here's what I want you to do. Verse 27, he said, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus is pointing to this young man and saying, I want you to put God first. There are four things that I believe that we can learn from this story. Here's the first one. Put God first, and all of these other things will fall into its proper place. If you will put God first in your life, all these other things that you're chasing, they're going to work out. They're going to fall in place. Just trust him with your life. If you want God to bless you, then put him first. Whatever you want God to bless, put him first in that area. You want God to bless your family, put God first in your family. If you want God to bless your work, your career, put God first in your career. Understand that you work for the Lord, you don't work for the company. And that when you understand that you work for a higher power, you work for the Lord and you don't work for your company, then you start to understand that when you go to work, possibly tomorrow, that your work becomes a part of your worship. Your work becomes a part of your worship because you understand that God has given you this ability to create wealth. And so when you learn how to create wealth and you honor God with that wealth, that's a part of your worship. You're worshiping, you're putting God first in that. When you put God first, your life is cha- will change. You'll start to see things differently. You'll see things more clearly. It, it is like that there's a fog around you and you start to put God first and it's like that fog starts to lift that the clouds start to clear up. You'll start to see things differently. It's like the darkness goes away and you've got this new set of eyes and God gives you a new vision. It's like somebody turns the light on. Have you ever been walking through a dark room and all of a sudden you turn the light on and man, you see everything differently. But Jesus said this in John chapter eight and verse 12. He said, I, I am the light of the world and if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus is your light. If you continue to stumble around in the darkness, you're going to get hurt. Because when you're in, walking through dark places and you're allowing darkness to stay in your life, it's dangerous. You make all kinds of mistakes. But when you walk in the light, things start to become clearer. In other words, the further away from God you are, the more confused about life you're going to be. But the closer you are to God, it's like his light opens it up, uh, the less confused you're going to be. So put God first in, in your life. Now, Jesus said that, and then he said, well, okay, what's the second commandment? What's the second greatest? We know the first one is, is to love God. 
And the second one is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Here, Jesus is teaching the golden rule. And many of you have heard about the golden rule. Probably your mother taught you the golden rule. Here it is, the second teaching point here. To treat other people like you want to be treated. Treat other people like you want to be treated. If you want to have the best life possible, here's one rule of thumb. Just be nice to people. If you want to have your best life, treat people fairly. Be willing to share grace with them. Be willing to give somebody a second chance. You know, all of us have fallen at times, and we have failed And we are definitely appreciative when somebody else reaches down, gives us a helping hand, picks us up, gives us a second chance. This week, some of you will have an opportunity to give somebody a second chance. And I just want you to remember this message. I want you to remember that I am uh, encouraging you to be kind to people, to treat people fairly, to treat other people like you want to be treated. Treat people with grace. Jesus replied to the lawyer, next verse, he said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Do this and you'll have the the good life. But the lawyer wasn't satisfied. Next verse, he said, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, now, who is my neighbor? Now, this was a really big question to ask in that first century because among the Jewish people specifically, because there's a big debate going on in the community about who a neighbor really is. In our mind, when we say who is our neighbor, we typically think about the people who live in the apartment uh, above us or beside us or maybe in the cul-de-sac down the street from us. Those are our neighbors. But in the Jewish culture, they wrestle with that. They felt like that their neighbors were only other Jewish people, that their their neighbors were people that uh, looked like them, that talked like them, that voted like them, that liked the same teams that they liked. They saw that their neighbors as people of their tribe. And Jesus is, is entering into this conversation to expand their vision about their neighborhood. So this man is asking Jesus, who's my neighbor, because he's trying to box Jesus in. Instead instead of answering just point blank, Jesus tells a story like he often does. He tells a story, a story that every one of us have heard. In fact, we've talked about this story every time we're driving down the road and we see somebody that has a flat tire, somebody that's broken down, and then we see another car there Uh, And that person is helping the person out. And we say, oh, that's a good Samaritan. And so we know this story, but do we really know the story? We turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 30 through 35. And I want you to hear the words of this story and just open it and let it speak to your heart. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, and they beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. 
Now, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by to the other side. Then a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when the Samaritan saw him, notice this, he took pity on him. He went to him, this Samaritan, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put this man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, Hey, I need you to look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you may have had. And so we see in verse 33 that he slowed down and he took notice. He had pity on him. This Samaritan slowed down long enough to see a person in need. He slowed down long enough to see a person in need. I'm not like that Samaritan many times. Because I may be running through life, running through my week. I may have three or four things going on in my mind, and I will pass somebody and not even see that they're in need. Maybe you've done the same thing. And it's not that I don't want to help, because in my heart, I want to help people. In my heart, I want to encourage people. In my heart, I want to speak life to people. But I can be just so focused. I'm just running from appointment A to appointment B in this place to this other place. And I can miss some hurting people along the way. And oftentimes, that my wife Patty is the one that says, hey, do you know what's going on in this family? Or do you know what's going on in this person's life? Have you seen this post? Have you seen this? Are you aware of this? I'm telling you, every man needs a good wife because they feel things and they see things that men sometimes do not see. And so I am just reminded I need to slow down. That's the third point. So the third point is not for you, okay? This is just for me. It's just my personal issues, okay? What is it? Slow down. Slow down so God can show you the needs that are close by. Slow down so that God can show you the needs that are close by. You know, sometimes we can be overwhelmed with the needs of the world. It is not your responsibility or my responsibility to meet the needs of the world, okay? God wants us to meet the needs of the people in our neighborhood first. Jerusalem, and then Judea, then Samaria, and then to the other most parts of the world. Let's bloom where we're planted first. That's why the ministry of the Dream Center is so important. That we have, this is where we're planted. We are in this city. This is our church. And that's why it's so important that we roll up our sleeves and we help people along the way. 
When we think about the Good Samaritan, it's kind of funny, and I know this is a younger crowd. Anybody here remember that old, old show called Seinfeld? Anybody? All of you are old. I mean, uh, it, the last show uh, um, aired in 1998, okay, in the last century, so that's how old you are. But thankfully, through TV land and that kind of stuff, some of you have watched that. But it's interesting. You know, you do nine shows, and the Seinfeld is one of the biggest uh, shows of all time. How do you close out a, a whole series of nine years? What do you do for the very last show? It's interesting. For the very last show, Elaine, George, Kramer, and Jerry were on the side of the road, and they see this person getting carjacked. And so when the uh, police come, they start to tell their story. Hey, this guy got carjacked. And instead of arresting the guy that did the carjacking, they arrested Elaine and George, Kramer, and Jerry. He said, what have we done? He said, do you not know about the Good Samaritan Law? He says that you're required to help or assist anyone in danger as long as it's um, reasonable to do so. And the next scene goes where they're in jail. So here you've got Elaine, George, Kramer, and Jerry. They are in jail. And Elaine says, the Good Samaritan Law, who has ever heard of that? Then George says, why would we want to help anybody? I mean, isn't that what the nuns um, and the Red Cross is for? Too many times we're like George. Isn't that what the government does? Isn't that what the nuns, Catholic charities do? Isn't that what the Red Cross is? My goodness, isn't that what the Salvation Army? I mean, don't they ring the bell to do handle things like that? We see the need But so often we are just simply too busy to slow down long enough to give a helping hand along, to encourage somebody. And it's not always money. In fact, it's probably money's on the lower end of the need. Sometimes people just need to know that they've been heard or they need to know that they've been seen or that somebody else feels the pressure and the pain that they're going through. Sometimes they just need an encouraging word. You know, you have the power of life and death in the words that you say. And so just think about that. You can speak life to people this week. You can speak encouragement to them. You can give to them. And so just think about that. Slow down long enough for God to be able to use you. This week, you may run into somebody at the grocery store. You may see somebody at the office. And just for a moment, your eyes lock and you're able to speak hope to that person. And that person may leave that conversation and say, I can make it another day. I can make it another day. Here's the final point. I want you to do something this week. Don't ignore these promptings, but do something because the only way you can serve God is by serving other people. One way you can serve God is by serving other people. You don't have to do everything, but just do something. Be open to your neighbors. And you say, oh, Marty, my neighbors seem fine. 
I see them open up their garage, I back up, I wave at them, you know, um, and they wave at me. Everything is good. But Jesus is talking about the word neighbor, and he expands the definition of neighbor in this story. And so I want you to expand the definition of neighbor in your story, in your life. In Jesus' story, he's saying a neighbor is anybody who is in need. It doesn't matter if they're down the street, if they're in your office, or if they're down the uh, row at your campus, or if there's somebody in your family. Just pause long enough. Our neighbor is a person in need. You know, I've, I'll never be known for, for poetic prayers, Okay. Nobody's ever going to transcribe my messages and say, you know, we need to make a a book of of Pastor Marty's prayers because they're so enriching. Because I don't don't pray that way. I, I, I focus on the simple ones. And you've heard me talk about the two word prayers, right? Help me, save me, forgive me. And so I am the person that I just boil it down. Uh, I pray from my heart, but it's oftentimes really, really simple stuff. Several years ago, I was thinking about this story. I was thinking about all of this, and I came up with this prayer that I've prayed now on a regular basis, probably for years. And it's this, God, help me to help others. God, help me to help others. And I think when I prayed that prayer, it was just kind of like... It connected, and so I, I, I pray that on a regular basis. God, help me to help others. Because there are people around you, there will be people around you this week. And some of these folks will be broken. They'll be hurting. They'll find themselves in a very difficult place. And that you, right in that moment, have an opportunity to help them. And the, the only thing that you'll have to pay for is your time. You know, we often talk about paying attention. Hey, I, I need you to pay attention. When somebody tells you to pay attention, that means it's costing you something. It's costing your attention. So it may just cost your attention just for a moment. But in that moment, you have an opportunity to speak life and to speak hope. There are people struggling that you'll meet this week. And some of them are struggling because they're trying to navigate what it means to live life alone. They never thought they would be divorced or they never thought that they would be a widow or a widower at this age. They just never thought about that. And now they've been thrust into this very difficult and challenging pathway. Maybe they're struggling with an addiction. And people just say, oh, just stop it. Just stop it. And they would think in their mind, if it was easy as that, I would have stopped a long time ago. And just maybe you have an opportunity to say, look, I'm going to walk with you through this journey and through this pathway, and together we're going to see freedom come. That Samaritan got off of his donkey because there was a need. When you help 
other people, it will make your life better. One day you're going to stand before a holy God. And God is going to ask you two questions, okay? Two questions. This is your final exam. So really, seriously, you may have not heard anything I've said today, but I want you to hear this. Two questions. The first question is, why should I let you into heaven? That's a real question. And the answer to that question is not, well, I've been a good person. I've tried to um, be a good person. That's not it. You can never do enough good deeds to outweigh the bad things you've done or thought. The right answer to that question is because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you've never done that today, uh, done that, I'm going to pray in a few minutes and give you an opportunity to make that decision. In fact, you're going to meet people at the conclusion of this service who will be baptized, and these individuals have made that decision. Okay, I said there's two questions. Here's the second one. The second question, this is a real question. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? This is a question about stewardship. This is a question about management. You've been given talents and resources and ability. You've been given time. What did you do with all that? Just tell me, what, what did you do with what I gave you? I just want you to think about that as we think about carving out what our lives should look like. Okay? I want to pray over you. Let's bow our heads. Grovetown, South Campus, and the atrium. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over Stevens Creek Church. I pray that your presence would rest on us. I also pray, Father, that if there's anyone here, and you could be watching at home, that you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. Oh, you've been a part of a religious group before, but you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. That today would be your day, and this would be your prayer. Just say, Jesus, come into my heart and forgive me of my sin. Just say that. Jesus, forgive me. Say, Jesus, save me. I want you to pray this prayer. Say, Jesus, make me into the kind of person. Jesus, make me into the kind of person that you want me to be. I give you my life. And Father, as they pray that prayer, I, I ask that your sweet Holy Spirit would rest upon them. I pray, God, that this message would not be one that we just hear, but it's one that we would incorporate in our lives. And so, God, speak to us today. And, God, we receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.